Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you in part by Growmark FS. For over 95 years, we've led the game. Power, we restored it. Protection, we reinvented it. Record yields, we redefined it. If there's one thing we know at FS, it's that just because something hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done. We're never satisfied unless we take your farming operation to the next level. Run your equipment at peak efficiency and bust the bins this season. Visit fssystem.com. The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, how did the markets react after the December WASDE report and kicking off the week on Monday? We're going to talk about it here today on Market Talk. Thanks for joining us on the program. As always, great to have you along for the conversation. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Coming up on today's program, we're going to take a look at how the uh, grain and livestock markets fared on Monday is wheat getting bullish, especially Chicago wheat, or not so much? We did see some revisions to the U.S. balance sheets for wheat and for corn on last Friday's WASDE report. Soybeans, meantime, didn't see any changes. Really watching South American weather once again. That's going to be a focus of our program today as well. Coming up, we're going to talk markets with John Heimberg from Total Farm Marketing in Segment 3 and 4. We'll get John's perspective on the market trade as we kicked off the week on Monday. Uh, we started the uh, session with some decent green and soybeans. We'll talk about uh, whether or not that held through the day. We'll look at livestock as well as uh, looking at some more fund liquidation of uh, long positions in cattle. We got that news on the CFTC report Friday late afternoon. We'll no doubt talk about uh, what's going on in the livestock markets and more coming up on the program today. We'll also take a look at weather. We'll talk about South American weather and some of the concerns and impacts that we are watching for down there. Eric Snodgrass with Nutrient Ag Solutions will join us for a look at weather coming up here as we get into segment two today. So uh, looking forward to that conversation as well as talking with John Heimberg from Total Farm Marketing. Well, let's take a look at a few news headlines to kick off the program here today. Volatility has been on the rise in the cattle futures market. Previously, the focus has and had been on low cattle inventory and the lack of news of rebuilding cattle herds around the country. Now a larger focus is on consumer demand. Colton Vondra with EverAg says one important indicator has played a role in lower cattle futures prices. Once we get the morning cutout report, it seems like just moments after we see that softening cutout, it seems like the futures market goes ahead and continues lower. So that could be uh, an indication that we're starting to see some weakening on the beef demand side of things. Vondra says increasing consumer debt, among other factors, are playing a key role in lower demand for beef. Student loan payments are have been reactivated, so that's 150 to $200 uh, of, of money that uh, a lot of uh, families don't have to uh, spend on uh, you know disposable goods anymore. As we look to 2024, the main driver of livestock futures will be demand, not cattle inventory, according to Vondra. The beef demand is going to be in charge of this thing now. Fundamentally, we know that we still have a short supply of cattle, and likely the shortest of supply is yet to come. We'll see that when we start to see some heifer retention. So on the supply side of things, 
there is some upside to the market, but we really just need to be sure that we can keep beef demand uh, in check and rolling as well as maybe pick up some exports. On the flip side, cash cattle prices remain solid. Feeder cattle and live cattle cash continue to remain at a premium to the futures market. And that could be that there's a sentiment out there uh, that, you know, everybody knows we are still short supply. So uh, they're kind of hoping that maybe that this thing is not going to last uh, as long as maybe some others think. Vondra says the upcoming cattle on feed report could be something to watch out for. We've got a cattle on feed report that's going to be coming out Friday, December the 15th. Uh, all eyes are going to be on that. We're hoping that we'll see a downturn on the placement side of things, which could provide a little boost to the live and feeder cattle markets. That's Colton Vondra with EverAg. Learn more at ever.ag. Well, ag lawmakers pressed for their farm bill priorities at a Members' Day House Ag hearing last week. Lower crop insurance premiums, pesticide labeling reforms, and support for cover cropping were among the lawmakers' farm bill asks. Chicago area representative Sean Caston says his bipartisan cover bill would build on a successful pandemic cover crop program. By incentivizing the planting of cover crops on a voluntary basis, by providing farmers with $5 per acre of crop insurance discounts for every acre that they plant into cover crops. In 2018, Iowa implemented a very similar program, was hugely successful, oversubsidized. My own state copied it in Illinois. It since has been copied in Indiana and Wisconsin. Kasten pointed to a study this year that found more cover cropping led to lower crop insurance losses, as much as $40 million in savings for every 1% boost in cover crops. That is by improving soil health and trapping carbon in the soil. Minnesota Representative Michelle Fishbach called for direct support for crop insurance to get away from inefficient, deficit-ridden, ad hoc disaster aid. Crop insurance has proven to be a bedrock risk management tool. And while I appreciate the fiscal constraints on this committee, I firmly believe an opportunity exists to build on the program's success by making higher coverage levels more affordable to producers across the country. Now, separately, Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley and Texas Representative Chip Roy called on Senate and House leadership to address several important topics in writing a new farm bill. They're asking leaders to address the impacts of inflation, waste in farm and nutrition programs, and foreign influence in U.S. agriculture. In a letter to leaders in both chambers, they say the administration and its reckless spending have led the U.S. to record inflation. The letter says, quote, by making conservative reforms to key programs, we will be able to tame inflation while also keeping in place a responsible safety net for U.S. farm families, end quote. They call for reforms to the SNAP program by citing its $1.2 trillion price tag and growing error rate. They're also urging Congress to bring more accountability to the USDA's Commodity Credit Corporation, which they say is a bureaucratic slush fund and oversight would save $8 billion over 20 years. And they're also calling for more controls on foreign ownership of U.S. farmland. Also, the Fertilizer Institute celebrated the good news in the recently released Hypoxia Task Force's report to Congress. It shows significant progress toward the goals of the Gulf Hypoxia Action Plan of 2008. TFI President and CEO Corey Rosenbush says it is good news. While there is still work to do, he says the report shows significant progress. Rosenbush says, quote, TFI has long advocated for grower adoption of nutrient stewardship practices such as the four R's because they work. These practices keep fertilizers on fields where they belong and out of the nation's waterways where they do not, end quote. 
Now, he also says it proves that science-based conservation practices voluntarily adopted by farmers and ranchers are having a tremendous impact on the nation's water quality. Rosenbush added, quote, they should be applauded for their continued efforts to grow more food with less environmental impact, end quote. TFI will use the report for continued farmer and policymaker education. The American Feed Industry Association appreciates the introduction of the Innovative Feed Enhancement and Economic Development Act. Supporters say it will improve the regulatory environment for new animal feed ingredients. The Feed Act will amend the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act to establish a regulatory pathway for a new category of animal food substances that act solely within animals' gut microbiomes or in the feed they are digesting to provide a wide range of benefits. This will make sure the Food and Drug Administration has the power it needs to ensure regulations keep pace with scientific innovation in feed. AFIA President and CEO Constance Coleman says this will spark the drive to nutritional innovation that improves animal health and production while addressing public health challenges, end quote. All right, coming up next, we'll take a look at weather with Eric Stockgrass from Nutri and back with more on Market Talk right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we count down the days on the calendar to the year 2024, we still got a few weeks left here in 2023, Christmas ahead of us, New Year's, etc. And we're watching the weather as we roll through the month of December. Things looking a little undecember-like, though, in the U.S. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to take a close look at South American weather. Joining us now, Eric Stockgrass with Nutrient Ag Solutions. Eric, great to have you back on the show Hope you had a good weekend. Uh, we should start with the U.S. weather real quick. I know a lot of severe weather through the Mid-South here this past weekend and really just uh, weather that's not typical for December in, in many locations, Eric. Yeah, but it's it's something that's actually becoming a bit more typical. Um, and what I mean by that is there was some great research done back in 2020 and early 2021 that pointed to a pretty sizable expansion of Tornado Alley more toward the Mid-South and in the whole of the Mississippi Valley. So we've seen it shift over the last 40 to 45 years. And uh, remember, you're close enough to the Gulf of Mexico that y you can we can extract very mild, unstable air masses any time of year. Yeah, it was a rough day watching that on Saturday, just watching it unfold. I mean, on Friday, when I did my most recent forecast you know, for the weekend, I said, hey, we've got a pretty large area from maybe eastern Texas all the way to Kentucky that has the risk of severe storms. But then as Saturday unfolded, it was pretty nasty. So uh, at least 25 tornadoes that we know of right now, uh, numerous fatalities, as you've seen. But I, I think one thing that's not getting talked a lot about was there was a lot of damaging hail as well. Mm. And so these storms kind of packed a punch and they finished over in in the east last night. Even parts of North and South Carolina got some severe weather as well. And then the same systems dumping several inches of snow in, in New England today. So up in uh, upstate New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, and, and Maine. So can we look at a positive side of it? Um, this area needed rain. There's no doubt about it. But is it enough to kind of fill the ailing Mississippi? It's not. Um, Mississippi this morning was about, about six and a half feet below low stage. And even with all the heavy rain that came through, 
the soil's going to take it up first. So yeah, that was a rough weekend to watch. There is a break coming for the Mid-South. I hate to say that though. I, 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 I'd rather keep the flow going and, and mm-hmm. I don't want the severe weather, but I need to keep the flow going to correct the longer standing drought issues. But most of the next 10 days, we're not going to see much more precip in the Mid-South. That's going to start in Texas and New Mexico and go south of you and then get down into the Southeast United States. That's our next big system to watch. Yeah, it was uh, definitely a rough weekend uh, in the Mid-South for uh, folks uh, like me who live down here. So a uh, tough thing to watch. We'll we'll move forward, though, from here. Uh, I want to stay just real quick before we spend the bulk of our time on South America. The, the weather pattern for this week ahead in the U.S., th- there's not a lot of uh, precipitation in it, it looked like here, Eric. It, it looks pretty mild for December standards. Yeah, and, and part of that's Alaska. So Alaska is taking on these deep troughs of low pressure. And if it's, if I'm telling you about that in Alaska, it's not here. You want Alaska to be ridged out and hot. And if it is, then we are having fun in the United States, but it's the opposite right now. And the coldest air in the Northern hemisphere is in Russia. And we don't expect it to get here before the year ends. We probably will spend the remainder of December with very mild conditions across North America. That's going to ruin a lot of folks' chances for like a white Christmas or anything like that. Uh, so, yeah, the pattern is is quite unfavorable. Uh, it's just it's not there. We are watching something kind of fun on our end, and that is that cold air that's in Russia is kind of paired up with very warm air that's in Southeast Asia. So what's that mean? That means the jet's going to just come screaming out of Japan and it may line from Japan to California on Christmas morning. It may be from Japan to California at an average speed of about 190 miles an hour. And that's not the right pattern to give us a big system in the central U.S., but it is the right pattern to hit California with quite a bit of precipitation. So it's kind of funny, but honestly, from now until Christmas, I'll be talking about this extended Pacific jet nearly the whole time. It'll be something to watch. Well, let's turn our attention to South America as we focus on a few of the weather features impacting us in North America. I know uh, we continue to keep our eye on Brazil and Argentina. How are things going down there for their growing season? Get me up to speed on Brazil first. I know we've seen some wet season showers but forecast continuing to kind of flip between models here. It looked like to me, get us up to speed. What are you seeing in Brazil this week? Yeah. So this is our big story, right? So um, if you think back over the last, I don't know, three to four weeks, we've had a few extremely hot episodes in central and Northern Brazil. We've had drier weeks. We know that statistically big section of Mato Grosso, parts of Mato Grosso do Sul, Tocantins, Goiás, Minas Gerais, you know, these areas have had like a top five driest, you know, uh, last three to four weeks when you look at data going back to 1979 and the heat's been on. Now, is there a garden spot? I think there is. I think it's in Mato Grosso do Sul, Southern Goiás, through Paraná, and maybe over to parts of Sao Paulo. But then you get south of that and it's too wet. Now, what's the point of me telling you that? This whole time period, the forecasts have been, the U.S. model called the GFS has been really dry. The European model, which is, of course, run out of Europe, has been really wet. And reality has been somewhere in between. Well, just this weekend, for the next two weeks, the European model just painted probably 95% of Brazil's growing area with drier than average conditions. And the GFS is only about 80% of it, with a little bit of wetter conditions in southern Brazil. Now, if I were in Argentina and I saw these forecasts, I would be like, fantastic, because it's going to rain. It's going to rain in Argentina. Both have it. But here's the question we've got. Every long-range model that looks out there at that last week of the month, 
is projecting that rains move farther to the north and hit the driest areas. If those fail, we are out of time, I think, for this crop to really have a chance to recover for these big production and yield numbers. We're now into January, it's just not there. We know the plant, the crop was planted late too, which means that we're just pushing everything in the cold crop calendar farther down. And the discussion is gonna have to start soon about safrina, that's gonna go in three to six week, uh, weeks late in places. So Brazil has really had some adverse weather this year and the garden spot is small and it's right there in the center between the northern growing areas and the southern growing areas, I think this year. So it sounds like this next couple of weeks, pretty crucial folks are going to have to keep a close eye on what's happening in South America because uh, if we don't get some of these rains to verify like you mentioned it's going to be tough sledding here it sounds like moving forward in some spots yeah or no sledding at all because it's going to be 105 degrees Fahrenheit yeah <laughs> so <laughs> no it's it's uh yeah it's going to be it's going to be rough uh and uh and by the way just because we're thinking about it the Panama Canal also not expected to get much rain over the next uh, 10 to 15 mm. days as well they're running out of time as well so I I think these next few weeks are going to be extremely important to the entirety of the pattern both in North and South America as we get into law headlong in our winter and South America goes into their uh, full growing season all right, good stuff. Before we let you go, any other features uh, around the world you are keeping an eye on here this week, Eric? Yeah, I'm watching Australia. There's a hurricane. Well, don't call them hurricanes. They call them cyclones there. That's going to be hitting Queensland. And uh, in Western Australia, huge dust storm over the weekend, which was interesting to watch. And finally, Europe. Europe is way above average on its snowpack so far this year. I mean, big snow in the Alps and in Germany, getting over to like Poland, Belarus, uh, Ukraine. Uh, but uh, even though it's been quite cold as of late, they're going back over mild, and this is going to continue to kind of be an interesting story to watch with respect to uh, energy prices. All right. Good thoughts. Folks can learn more ag-wx.com, ag-wx.com. You can sign up for Eric Snodgrass's weekly weather newsletter there as well. With that, Eric Snodgrass with Nutrient Ag Solutions. Thanks for joining us this week, my friend. Have a good one. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks. And as always, great stuff there from Eric Stockgrass, Principal Atmospheric Scientist with Nutrient Ag Solutions. Always uh, happy to have Eric on the program. And again, check out ag-wx.com. A lot of great info there. You go type in your city or your zip code, and it will bring up uh, details for your location each and every day. A lot of great maps and long-range models there you can take a look at. It's very easy to find, ag-wx.com. And make sure you sign up for his uh, weekly weather newsletter, too. A lot of great info comes right to your email inbox from Eric Snodgrass. Uh, we brought up the drought monitor a little bit. And just looking at the uh, most recent drought monitor published back on Thursday, as Eric was mentioning, a wide area of the uh, Mid-South and Delta seeing uh, extreme drought still with uh, dark browns and reds and oranges showing up. Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, et cetera, portions of Arkansas. So got to keep an eye on that. And still seeing uh, areas of red throughout uh, eastern Iowa, really from the Iowa-Minnesota border down to the Missouri-Iowa border, seeing that wide swath of red still on the map. Pocket of uh, red and brown in southeastern Nebraska is showing up there as well. Otherwise, uh, most of the rest of the country is looking okay. Missouri, Kansas, still some areas to 
keep an eye on, but largely Ohio, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, much of Wisconsin looking pretty good. Minnesota's okay. The Dakotas, much of uh, western Nebraska looking good too. Texas, few spots, but overall Texas, Oklahoma looking good too. So uh, just something to keep an eye on there. All right, we're going to talk markets. Coming up next, we'll be joined by John Heinberg from Total Farm Marketing. Back with more on Market Talk right after this. Your local FS is member-owned, and that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out-yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or High Soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and High Soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, it was definitely a tale of money flow in, money flow out in the grain and oilseed trade on Monday. Money flowed into soybeans. Very strong day there. Money flowed out of wheat led by losses uh, in really all three complexes. And then corn just largely stuck in the middle. What's well, uh Let's talk about things. Joining us now to uh, provide market analysis here on the show, John Heimberg with Total Farm Marketing. John, good to catch up with you again. Hope you had a great weekend and uh, fairly interesting trade action in the grains and oil seeds coming back off the weekend. And let's start with soybeans. Sounded like uh, that weather forecast in South America back here as a kind of a driver and was the main reasoning that I saw anyway, that soybeans uh, pushed their way aggressively higher on Monday. Yeah, real good start to the week in the soybean market there, 30 plus cents higher in those front month contracts. And, you know, probably just a couple news items in there. First off, let's just go back to the USDA report. Basically a can kick down the road there in the bean market. Uh, and then we did see some movement, at least in terms of the South American or the Brazilian crop even though it was kind of muted because they added 2 million metric tons to last year's harvest and then took 2 million metric tons off of this year's harvest. So net net was zero, you know, in that regard. Uh, but then, you know, we get into the day today. We first off watch some of those weather forecasts, new weather models coming out, drier uh, conditions, maybe across those uh, Brazilian plains. Maybe the temperatures starting to kick back in again a little bit. They moderated there. So I think that brought some weather premium into the market. And we continue to see solid export demand. Another another sale came in, in today. Uh, unknown destinations picking up some more beans. It was a little late on the announcement, but it got out there this morning. You know, so we're seeing that activity, the combination of those things, you know, the funds kind of squared up their positions a little bit going into that report. Now they're just kind of pushing the money back into the long side of this thing and add some weather premium. I'm really impressed by the close today, getting above Friday's high. You know, I was kind of watching this kind of line you can just magically draw around 335 or 1335. We crossed over that and on the close today. So things look a little bit optimistic there. So we'll have to see if we can get some follow through here in the next few days. Maybe take this thing back up to the top of the range. I was going to say, uh, thinking about some of that follow through, one has to wonder, uh, you know, I, I think we, we sold quite a bit of beans, John, uh, here in the U.S. So if there are any remaining beans out there, I mean, is it at the point where we're thinking it's uh, gambling bushels, so to speak, here, and we'll just have to wait and see if we have more follow-through and, and push this thing higher? What do you think about that? 
you know, there's still some more beans out there. You know, I actually fielded a few calls today of guys kind of waiting for $13. And, I, you know, that in terms of the cash price with the basis. And, you know, so mm -hmm. that's going to be a headwind that's overtopped this market. And I think the, the most of the producers are fairly aware or com understand that even with the weather and the Argentina crop coming back online, we're going to have a fairly large supply of beans, if not even a record supply of beans coming out of uh, those South American countries. That's going to come into play this spring. And maybe not to be too attached to the bushels here, you know, and, you know, take the win. If we get a good number, uh, we've got a lot of things going in, in terms of moving parts going into next year that can take time. But here's some opportunities maybe to get some additional bushels sold. So that could be a little bit of a headwind as we get further up in price that, you know, we start seeing $13 cash pop into some regions. That's probably going to get that bin door open. Uh, a little bit in that regard. So, but the other plus side, you look at meal today, oil today, good move in the products. That's been really disappointing last couple of weeks. Crush margins improve with that today too. So that also just adds, you know, we still got to keep in mind that domestic supplies are still relative or are tight. And if the export market stays, you know, you know, continues to stay friendly, at least in this window, we still got a lot of beans that we need to move. That's going to keep those crushers bidding up. And uh, they're still going to be looking for supplies, and that keeps this market supported. Now, the concern will be later on into 2024, when we get into that February, March, April, May window. You already see the bids are out there for South American beans, significantly below our beans. You know, we're going to get through that export window that we're kind of in right now. That's going to come close. Then what happens to price? You know, so I'm looking at put put strategies if guys are going to hold bin, beans in the bin into the summer, you know, wait for a pullback. The last couple of years, it's been around that end of first of May window. That's your window to get your calls in and reown anything that you do sell in this time frame. I know the wheat trade sharply lower in Chicago, Casey, and uh, Minneapolis wheat, and that kind of pulled on the corn market, and corn really didn't know which way to go on monday uh, in terms of corn before we, we talk about wheat uh, it just you know we saw the usda report friday i mean i know we got that cut to exports but at the end of the day john we still just got a lot of corn out here and i feel like that's gonna be a, a the big weight on this u.s corn market here as we work into 2024 what do you think Oh, very much so. You know, even even with that 25 million bushels going back into the demand side of the balance sheet, bringing carryover down here on the last report, you know, that was a little bit on the friendly side. But then let's step back and look at the big picture. You look at it, stocks use 14.7, but, you know, uh, current number or for current number at this time frame. You know, that's back to 2015, 16, 17 levels. And, you know, if you go back and look at charts where were prices in that time frame. So, you know, that just tells us that the market feels like maybe corn prices need to come down. We saw the selling pressure today being obviously led by the wheat, even with beans rallying 30 cents. Corn just couldn't get a bid under it today. You know, uh, fairly weak close in, the, in terms of money flow of the day. So we'll see how that kind of plays out. Kind of feels like we got a better chance of getting out, back down and testing that 460 level than we do back to five bucks here, at least in just in terms of momentum. The biggest thing, you know, again, end of the year, we watch what the funds are doing and what they're doing with the money flow. They shave 45,000 short contracts off. Now, to me, that's fairly disappointing when you look at the rally. What was it? 20, 25 cents off the low mm -hmm. in that window where they shaved much less off of the wheat market and we rallied 90, you know, in that regard. So here that gives them more ammunition again, to just push this thing to the downside until they have a reason 
uh, to get this thing to turn around and put money on the other side of the coin. And right now, I don't see that yet. Export inspections today, a little bit disappointing. Lower end of the scale. We're not in our corn export window, even though we've been seeing the sales pick up a little bit more. Typically, that bean window closes. I've said first of the year corn opens up. But then we just still got to look at the longer term story. And really, the Brazil weather is not a major corn player story yet. You know, it's all about the beans, the planting pace, where we are. But eventually, we're going to shift that over and see how many acres we get out down there. What's the planting time window? How's that relate? You know, that could be more of a summer story. Late spring is where we get some more demand to kick back in. So I think right now, at least as we got a lot of corn we're working through, and I would, you know, right now I feel like we got that January WASI report or crop production report coming, just talking to people in some areas. <clears throat> it wouldn't surprise me the USDA had another bushel per acre on the yield and bump up the supply pile a little bit more at the year-end report too. So, you know, those things I think the market's trying to price in here, and it's going to be very difficult for the core market to rally unless something breaks out on the news front, you know, that really can make them feel uncomfortable. But right at this time frame, I'm not seeing it. And to add to your point there, I feel like about the only thing that could move some corn out of the bin here before the end of the year or even the beginning of January is going to probably take some regional basis pops, I think, at this point, unless we see some significant black swan event that drives this corn market higher. I, I don't see it. I, I just feel like it's going to have to come down to some of those uh, regional basis offers, isn't it, John? Very much so. It could be one of those situations where the futures market, cash market, find a little divergence from each other. You know, the money doesn't want to buy it on the board, but we're going to see those windows where, hey, we need supplies. They're going to pop the basis, get the bin doors to open up a little bit here. Now, right now, I think things are going to be pretty closed until we get to the first of the year anyway, given the calendar. And I'm a little concerned. I mean, look what happened last year. The first couple of trading days of the year, we sold off really hard. Uh, since that being kind of maybe a play this year as well as a lot of guys are pushing money back sales back until the first of the year and then they're going to move those bushels out whether to cover inputs you know taxes whatever payments whatever they got to take care of mm -hmm. i think we're going to see that corn move pretty aggressively and then be careful around those first notice days at least here in these front months just feels like there's a lot of basis contracts still floating around out there we saw what happened at the end of december with the hard sell-off there uh, that that could be a play as we get closer to that first notice day window in the March contract. You know, right now it's a seller's market. You got 20 cents a carry from December to March. We lost a carry from September to December. You know, right now that feels like the play could be the exact same way as we move further into 24 and we see that carry continue to bleed out. So I'm saying defensive, especially the producers are holding bushels in the bin. Let's protect the $5 level best we can with some of those put strategies out in the May and July. John, the wheat market, I, you know, outside of just saying wheat was doing wheat things on Monday, any other notes that you saw in terms of some of that downside pressure? Was it profit taking? Did I did I miss a news headline? I mean, your thoughts in the overall selling pressure in wheat on Monday? You know, sometimes you need corrections in an up market. So we'll see if this one was limited to one day. You know, 10 day moving average was around that 609, 610 area in the March. We fell back to that today and at least held that, even though that was 22 off the high for the day. You know, the biggest thing is I'm looking at 100 day moving average. We closed back underneath there. You know, maybe we just got this thing a little too far too soon. Watching global wheat prices, the US still needs to stay competitive. And we didn't get another sale today. You know, we've been watching China step in. They picked up about 1.9 million metric tons of U.S. wheat, which is a very large set of purchases for the last, what, basically decade. 
And in that regard, you know, that wasn't there today. So it just gave the market a little more momentum as it kind of broke. You know, wheat's a volatile market. We see that in the value of the options and the strategies around it. You know, there's a lot of cost to those options, tells you the volatility is still very high. And I think today was just a case of it. Now, the key will be, do we turn around, do we find some footing, or does this thing go pull all the way back another 20 cents or so, you know, before we really find some good technical support, you know, back down that $6 handle or lower. Well, once again, that's the voice of John Heimberg from Total Farm Marketing. We'll continue our discussion coming up here after the break. We're going to dive into the livestock sector, talk cattle, hogs, dairy. That is on the way next as we're back with more here on Market Talk right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen. We are talking today with John Heimberg from Total Farm Marketing here on the program. Let's talk about the livestock trade and cattle first. I know I was uh, trying to watch closely the uh, latest CFTC report uh, where funds stood in both the live and feeder cattle market here uh, after Friday and uh, uh, getting into this week, a decent up day in cattle trade. Your thoughts on just where the funds are kind of sitting at right now, because it feels like they've really been a big driver of a lot of this downturn of volatility in the cattle market, John. Very much so, you know, and it's just been something we've seen basically a free fall in that long position. Funds are sitting a little over 27,000 long contracts. That's their lowest net long for the year um, in this area. And, you know, just considering we're midsummer, you know, early fall pushing up well over the 100,000 contract point. So that was probably a big trigger was the money flow out of this. You know, it was led by just a few fundamentals that got a little bit concerning. And we saw the, some of them kind of walk apart here the last couple of days, cash trending lower, retail values breaking under the 290 level. Now we snapped back very nicely today on the retail values. I think that helped with the recovery. You got two days of up trade here now in the live cattle market, hitting some seasonal windows where we typically see some money flow into the cattle market as well into the end of the year. You know, so maybe it's a good spot. We see some price recovery. Still don't think we're out of the woods yet just because of, you know, some of the perceptions and sentiment out there. You know, I'm not going to say that it doesn't help. You know, we got the that COP20 conference going on right now, too, and there's a lot of negative headlines coming out of there about animal agriculture. I think that was some of the selling that came into play as well as just, <clears throat> just concerns on maybe long-term demand. You know, we'll have to see. I mean, obviously, those are things down the road we'll have to worry about. But it's out there and it's headlines and it's stuff that, you know, that the computers and the algos, they trade off of. And I think that was may have been some of the issues here this week as well. Um, so, you know, so we'll have to see how the rest of the week goes, um, at least so far today. And, and on Friday, nice recovery in, the, in those markets. Uh, so we'll, again, watch how things go this week. Where's cash trade go? How do those retail values go? And, uh, you know, and watching that going forward. And I know you and I were chatting uh, as well before we got on the air, just looking at some of those retails and more on the cattle side uh, Monday. Looked pretty good. Uh, box beef showed some small gains early on Monday. So, I mean, some positive notes uh, on that front as well in terms of the cattle market to start the week, John. Yeah, it's good to see a nice little bid come in today. You know, a combination of things going on here too in that retail space. 
you know, we're at the end of the year here and a lot of, not a lot of retailers want a whole lot of inventory, you know, with the year end numbers coming at them here. So that might be some of the reason we see some softness and we get into next year, you'll see those bids start kicking back in again. Maybe they're even kicking in now with delivery of that product in 2024, you know, so I think that comes into play here as well. But again, it's a seasonal window where maybe some of the demands a little bit softer um, and we'll see how things start going into the, as we move into the spring next year. How about that hog market, John? Uh, taking a look at things there, uh, seeing on Monday's trade, a little bit lower. This hog market just continues to kind of be a dog, so to speak. Uh, any any thoughts in the hog trade to start the week? You know, it's right to that cash index and the trend there. You're looking at $68 cash index down another 36 cents today, a couple bucks lower last week. You know, it's just in a free fall slide here as we've been moving into the end of the year. And that still continues to weigh on this hog market. Now, again, tough day in the February contract, big outside day to the downside. So it just feels like the sellers are in control here. There the funds are short and they're pushing that short position in the hog market. Feels like at least that test of that 66 low coming. Maybe we'll find some footing there again. But again, it's just that time of year. We're just not seeing what we need in those the fundamentals, especially that cash market that possibly can get this market to get some footing. I think cash has to turn first before we truly see the hog market start getting on the climb again. See a little green in the uh, dairy parlor on Monday, mainly uh, class three milk futures. John, any notes in the uh, dairy trade to start the week? Well, it's proven again, you get a spike in the dairy market, it turns into a quick selling opportunity. And, you know, that's three of them now where we basically within a matter of two, three days after we hit those highs, we're quickly back through the low that we took off from. You know, milk market, maybe we got a double bottom forming on the bottom of these contracts. USDA came out, lowered their milk projection numbers on that UASI report on Friday. You know, it still feels like we're on a slippery slope, but I look at the summer months and the spring and we're 17 pushing 18 trading now 1640 here just makes me feel like this market's still in a downward slide you know block and barrel prices again still not maybe where we need them to keep this market supported same with butter prices have really come down yeah, i'm not a very big fan of the milk market at this time frame at least from the fundamentals i'm seeing so but hopefully we can find some footing here for the dairy producer but again when you get those nice little pops or rallies definitely make sure that's an opportunity to protect yourself in some form or fashion John, before we wrap it up, any final thoughts uh, for us here today? You know, trade gets a little more difficult at this time of the year because of the lack of players and, you know, end of year covering and whatever they're doing. So just be on your guard, set your targets and wait for them to hit. You know, just had those conversations with guys about soybeans today. You know, just make sure we're active here okay? because you might have a one day opportunity that came and gone, you know, in this type of a market. So but the biggest thing is keep an eye on those future prices for next year, especially in the grains. Uh, there's still some good numbers on the board. Uh, we're looking at supplies still possibly getting bigger. You know, you can't sit there and count on weather to be your savior. You know, if you got opportunity now to lock in a little bit of game for 24 when you're buying your inputs, make sure we're doing it. That's one thing I've been really talking to people about. You know, there's always ways to reown it. There's always different plans to go. But the biggest thing is make sure at least, uh, you know, lock in a couple of the base hits if we get a chance to get those versus always trying to get a home run. John, if folks have questions, I know they can reach out to you there at Total Farm Marketing, phone, email, website, a lot of great ways to get in touch. How can they reach you? 
Sure, I love chat with them anytime. Give me a call, 800-334-9779. Shoot me an email at johnh at totalfarmmarketing.com. And that website of ours, totalfarmmarketing.com. A lot of great information. Love to chat with you. Feel free to give me a call, even if you just got a couple questions about what we do, what we're thinking about. Just love to have that conversation and introduce myself. With that, John Heimberg, Total Farm Marketing. Always good to catch up with you, my friend. Have a great week, and we will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Have a great week. Good stuff as always from John Heimberg with Total Farm Marketing. And that's going to do it for our program here today. Thanks to John. Thanks to Eric Snodgrass from Nutrient Ag Solutions for joining us earlier in the show as well. Coming up tomorrow, we'll talk with Brian Split from agmarket.net. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Your local FS is member-owned. And that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or high soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and high soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube.